Now, before you panic and look at your watches, this is not a full-length sermon this morning. So there was that praise the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord. Um, But I do think that when we get together each week, it is important for us to have time in the Word. And uh, so I've really just, with the remaining time that we have left, I just really wanted to share something with you that I hope will encourage you in this season of Advent as we look to prepare him room in our lives. So, pause. Um, I'm still thinking about all those Bible trivia questions. I'm very glad I didn't get picked. There were lots of those things that I didn't know. Um, I want to turn to the book of Luke this morning. Um, And this year I've been particularly struck in my reading in this time of Advent um, by the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so I just want to read part of that story with you. I'll give you a little bit of background about this couple Um, We're told that they are a righteous and blameless couple. Um, They come from a priestly line, both of them, and Zechariah serves in the temple as a priest. But they are a couple who've been unable to have children. And it's important to note that Luke makes it very clear. In, in In this time in the Bible, it was often believed that barrenness was due to sin. And so Luke makes it very clear that this is a couple who love the Lord and have lived their life according to his statutes and commands. And the story that we enter into um, in their life is the point at which they are now in their old age. They've been unable to have children. Zechariah is... um, doing his duty in the temple. There were a lot of priests in this day and so they would serve for a kind of a two-week period at a time um, and then go home and often were had other kind of um, jobs that they did like um, perhaps farming or things like that because they weren't in the temple all the time. But Zechariah's particular group of priests was serving his division, they say, um, was on duty and... Zechariah has had his name drawn by lots to go into the Holy of Holies to make sure that the incense is still burning. And so we'll pick it up at that point. Um, So there are lots of people around in the temple praying and he's entered into the um, area where the incense is burning and we'll pick it up in verse 11. It says, And there appeared to him, an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell on him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you shall have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great before the Lord." And the angel goes on to tell Zechariah about his son and about the call on his life as the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah says to the angel, this is verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. To be honest, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is one that I have often skimmed over in my reading during Advent. But I felt this year the Lord particularly draw my attention to two specific themes that are woven through their stories. And those are the themes of solitude and silence. The irony is not lost on me that I might be bringing an encouragement to you this morning on solitude and silence when we've just experienced 40 plus kids this morning in in full technicolour sharing their exuberance for what they've learned. And I certainly feel that the idea of solitude and silence is completely juxtaposed to the hurry and the noise and the bustle of this time of the year. But perhaps that's exactly why we need it. Gabriel's words to Zechariah could easily be considered as a punishment for his lack of faith. I've often imagined Gabriel standing up to full height and I kind of imagine that that should have been written in caps lock in my Bible. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring this good news. And now because you've been naughty, uh, you will be silent and unable to speak until these things have taken place. So there. But when we only consider this interaction as a punishment, I think we miss some really important things. And in fact, when we view it as a punishment, we miss the fact that there's an invitation that I think God is making to Zechariah. I don't know that we could really fault Zechariah, could we, for being taken a bit by surprise. This was not an ordinary day for Zechariah. This being drawn by Lot to go in to make sure that the incense was burning was actually really a a once-in-a-lifetime deal for these priests because there were so many of them. It was very unlikely that he would get this opportunity again. And it was very important that he got it right. You'll read later on, because he takes a bit of time to come back out, that the people are really a bit concerned about that. And that's because there was a mandate for that incense to be kept burning 24-7. And there was potentially the um, imagination in the people outside wondering if he'd done something wrong before the Lord and got struck dead, how are they going to get him out? And how would they have their prayers answered? Because they um, believed that if their prayers were heard amongst that incense being offered to the Lord. And so into the midst of this very important job, it enters this great big angel. I mean, how incredibly distracting for Zechariah. And then this good news that Gabriel talks of, prayers that have been heard. What press? I mean, the dream of being a father for Zechariah has long since been buried. And based on his response in verse 18, 
I don't imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth were offering up many prayers anymore about becoming parents. I mean, could it be that the prayers they prayed over many years, up until now left unanswered, that they'd been stored up, kept safe and fully remembered by the Lord for this moment? It was a lot for him to take in. I'm quite sure that many of us would have had a similar response to Zechariah, stunned disbelief at an impossible promise, not to mention a few questions. And for asking for a sign, Zechariah is struck silent. So what if we view this interaction more as an invitation instead of a punishment, be it a rather heavy-handed invitation? an invitation to pause, to consider, to reflect, and to be still. In that time of silence where Zechariah was unable to speak, something dramatically changes in him. We don't actually have a commentary on that nine months of his silence, but we are invited to wonder what went on between him and God in that time. What was it that turned Zechariah from a man who would argue with an angel to one who offered a clear proclamation and a praise and prophecy to God? And we read part of that over communion this morning. At the end of his silence of nine months, they weren't nine months worth of questions and doubts and opinions. Instead, he breaks into praise, blessing and adoration. And he proclaims that his God, the rescuer, the redeemer, the long-awaited Messiah, is on the way. God had filled his silence in that nine months. I read a quote during the week which I think and felt was worth sharing with you. This commentator says, God often speaks most clearly to us in moments when we can quiet our own minds and voices. Words can sometimes be more reflective of our own anxieties and concerns than of God's action. While prayerful words can be beautiful in their mode of communication, they can also be distractions from fully placing ourselves in God's hands. Sometimes our words, like Zechariah's, manifest our own limitations. Silence makes room for the fullness of God's dynamic and healing power. In the quiet, God is still at work. God's power exceeds our own ability to name, to capture or to control the events in our lives. In entering into silence, we enter more deeply into God's mystery we learn to trust in God's transforming power taking place in the as yet unknown. And I'd like to suggest to you that that is part of Zechariah's story and an invitation to us, one that's echoed in Psalm 46 where it says, Be still and know that I am God. And then we have Elizabeth's story. 
if you just look at verses 24 and 25. We don't get much about her, but it says this. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from amongst the people. As I said before, in these times, barrenness and infertility carried with it much shame as well as heartache. And men were actually actively encouraged to divorce a wife who was unable to bear him children. So we don't know much about Elizabeth, but what we can fairly confidently assume is that she has lived a long time with the disgrace or the reproach of others as a barren woman. And at the discovery of this miraculous pregnancy, Elizabeth sought solitude and seclusion. She drew away from her normal life, not in bitterness and embarrassment, but her proclamation here tells us more with amazement and praise of the Lord who has seen her and taken away her shame. Her time of solitude obviously would have been even more quiet given that she had a non-speaking husband. That wasn't pointed, Justin. I imagine this moment in Elizabeth's life to be much like what we hear of Mary. I've always loved the words of Mary where it says that she treasured those things spoken to her in her heart. It was almost like it was really too precious to share with anyone but God. And that's kind of the place that I imagine Elizabeth to be in in this place. This is just too precious to share with anyone but God. And so she draws aside in solitude for five months, we're told. It was in Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy that Mary paid her a visit. And having spent five months in seclusion, in solitude, in a place of no distractions with just her and God to just be, we're told she's filled with the Holy Spirit and that from this place she recognised even in his embryonic form her Messiah. The spiritual discipline of solitude is not isolation. It's not walking into loneliness or emptiness, but actually into the presence of God. It is intentionally separating ourselves from, for a period of time from the cacophony of life to give our undivided attention to him. And what is the fruit of that undivided attention? That Emmanuel, God with us, comes more sharply into focus. We recognise him, just like Elizabeth. She recognised him. Last Wednesday, I ran out of petrol. The petrol light had been on in the morning, but I didn't have time to fill up. In these modern cars these days, there's even a button that you can press that tells you how many kilometres you've still got to do. Go. So I hit the button in the morning. It said I'd got 80 kilometres. And so I rushed through my day. 
I was heading to the school pickup, and as I hit the top of Erindale Drive to head down into the valley, no power. I knew exactly what had happened. The car was empty. I managed by some miraculous intervention to coast down the hill. No cars on the first roundabout. Managed to get round the roundabout and pull up on the side of the road. And then I had the walk of shame. <laughs> In the heat with a fairly grumpy teenager with me and a jerry can in hand to go and get petrol to get me to the petrol station to get home. All the while thinking I was way more hot and bothered than necessary if I had simply taken time to stop and refuel. I far too often drive my life like I drive my car, rushed and hoping to just squeeze a couple more kilometres out. And I wonder, particularly at this time of year, whether you can relate. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting a personal or church-wide nine-month vow of silence. Sorry, Justin. Or five months of solitude. I don't think that either of those are practical or called for. But we live in a culture that is addicted to noise and words and activity. And the intentional spiritual practice of solitude and silence, of quietening ourselves before the Lord, can bring clarity and an opportunity to refuel and refocus. Solitude and silence can give us moments in our daily life where our own questions and words pause long enough to remember who he is and therefore who we are. So, this Advent season, put down your devices and books, turn off your radio, music, podcasts or television, Zip your lips, quieten your mind, no to-do lists, no prayer lists or devotion or Bible reading plan, be it indoors or outdoors, sitting or standing, morning or evening, find some time for just you and God. For minds like ours that are used to being perpetually distracted, this is actually harder than you might think. But my challenge to myself and to you this Advent season is that amongst the hustle and bustle, that you would take 10 minutes every day to prepare him room in solitude and silence. Are you up for the challenge? You might like to stand. <clears throat> Father, as we finish our service today, we want to 
continue to acknowledge God, our adoration of you, our love for you, our worship of you. God, we recognise that in the midst of life, with the distractions and the noise, that sometimes, God, who you are, gets drowned out. And so, Father, as an intention of our hearts this morning, in this season of Advent where we reflect and recognise that you are the God who came and entered into our reality. Father, we ask your help. We ask, God, that you would help us to weave into the busyness and distraction of our life an ability to press pause, to intentionally seek even 10 minutes of solitude and silence with the express purpose of being alone with you, to step into your presence, God, knowing, Father, as we've reflected for both Zechariah and Elizabeth, that we would be forever changed. And so, God, we just want to accept your invitation this morning to know you more deeply to know your love for us and to receive that afresh, to allow you, God, to minister where our hearts are weary or discouraged. And for the purpose, God, of entering more deeply into our worship and our praise of who you are. May we, God, this week just know your presence with us. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.